Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Multispeed Technologies, the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call. 1-855-450-NOAA. That's 1-855-450-6624. Give me a call and we'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions. Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, and now host of the only radio show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah Chalaya. Good evening, everyone. Happy to be here. Delighted to be here with you guys. Another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicking off this hour. We're going to go to Jeremy. Uh, good evening, Jeremy. How are you? Hey. Hey, I appreciate you waiting on hold so long. You you uh, you dialed in like right when we opened the phone lines. How can we help tonight? Hey, man, I got a question. I'm, I'm got a bunch of wireless cameras. I have Blue Cherry like you, you would say, and I really like that. And I want to move my wireless cameras to power over Ethernet, um, regular old uh, wire cameras. And the question is, we live in the late capital. What can I do to mitigate the risks of getting my camera struck by lightning so I don't take out a switch and everything connected to it? Yeah, okay. Um, so I'll start out by giving you the disclaimer that when it comes to lightning, all bets are off. When you start talking about that many thousands of volts uh, coming in at that high of an amperage, I mean, you they, they, there's all these companies that make all these things. I just got to tell you, if you get hit by lightning, all bets are off. That said, there are a couple of things you can do. Electricity is always going to take the path of least resistance. So grounding all of your material or all of your or all of your things is going to is going to be the best first step that you can take. So your PoE switch, for example, probably has a grounding screw on the back of it and you can not, uh, take a wire, wrap it in there and put put that grounding rod in the ground. Um, I, at my ham station, for example, obviously there's thousands of dollars worth of equipment and so we really worry about lightning because I got an antenna that's sticking a couple hundred feet up in the air. I mean, it's a gigantic lightning rod. That's what it is. Uh, and what I do is I... Well, the antenna I disconnect from the, the radio to begin with, just to try to alleviate that. But on top of that, all of the equipment is run with uh, 12 gauge copper wire. And then I have a copper rod that goes into the ground about six or seven feet. And I tie the the, the grounding rod or the uh, copper wire onto that grounding rod. Now you can ground to a couple different things. You can ground to your, uh, if you have copper pipes in your house, if you have an older house, they got copper pipes, you can ground to that uh, because the copper is in the ground. I don't know if that's technically kosher somebody 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 in the chat room can correct me um but uh so that's 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 step one the second step is you can purchase uh a ups that does true ac to dc conversion so base or well uh i guess both ways ac to dc then dc back to ac but basically the battery sits in the middle of the two sides of the ac so the ac side that's provided to your equipment and the ac side that is coming in from the wall and if lightning were to hit that a power line you got a lightning surge it would hopefully it would take out the battery and not transition to the other side of the battery where your equipment is and again that's not a guarantee but that's that's the best chance you have does that make sense to you yeah that, that makes sense I, i'm kind of in the same boat i was hoping that maybe you had something better but it sounds like there's nothing i can do and that makes it feel at least a little bit better and less hopeless yeah i mean here's the thing the, the reality is and i thank you for the call the reality is that uh lightning is not a huge issue we have one client that has a um a lake house kind of up well not a lake house but a resort house kind of up in the mountains and um that is prone to lightning i mean he's taking a couple tvs and stuff like that but for the rest of us depending on where you live you're probably you're probably okay james is calling from idaho hey james welcome to the ask noah show yeah um I have an older dual corp being donated for setting up with Lightning, of course, naturally. But then the person threw in uh, wanting to know how to run Windows apps, which normally I ran out of wine, and uh, want to know about virtualization, which is the best way to go, and I have to do all the good old support for it. Yes. And we have a whole book to do, five megs of RAM to run on, and it's an older dual core. Yep. Uh, so your question is? How do I get, what's the best way to get the Windows stuff they uh, asked about at the last minute to uh, reliably run? 
Okay. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, to a certain degree, I mean, there's just, we do, I mean, sometimes you just run into the limits of the computers, right, James? I mean, like, you have an older, you have a computer that's old enough and has a limited amount enough of memory and has a limited enough amount of CPU power and, and hard drive space. I mean, there's just a limit to what you're going to be able to do with that machine. And so, uh, you know, if you hit one of those hard limits, there's just not much you can do. Uh, as far as how can you squeeze every last bit of performance out of it? Well, there's a couple of things. One is you can start by using a lightweight distro like Lubuntu. It's going to be a great episode for that because we're going to talk about what all the various distros are and what they are best suited to. Uh, and the second thing that you could do is uh, you could look at, can you upgrade the components, individual components of that computer? So could you put more RAM to that computer? Is it actually maxed out? Is it maxed out? Is that just what the, the, the computer comes with? Or is the, uh, is the motherboard capable of supporting more RAM? Those are things that uh, that you can do. Hey guys, I want to just take a moment uh, in the show and talk about something personal just for, just for a minute uh, for two reasons. And I guess the first one is just because I've been doing some reflection this week and uh, what is happening in my life right now directly relates in a way to the reason that I'm sitting behind this microphone today talking to you. And the second reason is because you guys call this program every single week. You're looking for wisdom. You're looking for advice. And uh, I, I guess I can't think of a more poignant way to help you than to offer what I'm about to say. Take time for the things in life that are important to you. Uh, 15 years from now, you're not going to remember that client. You're not going to remember that meeting. 25 years from now, you're not going to remember. You're you're not going to remember any anything you did for work. But you might you will remember taking your kids to the water park. 50 years from now, you are going to remember that time that you didn't cancel your family vacation at the last pass, possible minute because you know there was a really good work opportunity that came up. And I, I got a question very early on in the show, and they said, "No, how do you time manage?" And I said, "I, I do a time budget." I lay out at the beginning of the week all of the things that I want to get accomplished that week in order of importance, and then I go through and I, I, well, I lay them all out, and then I prioritize them, and the top of the thing is what gets done, and when I run out of time at the end of the week, whatever's at the bottom of the list doesn't get done. And sometimes it's not to say, there are some very important things that are at the bottom of that list, uh, and sometimes it just doesn't happen. Um, a few months ago, Many of you probably remember that the Ask Noah show was live from New York City to cover the Ubuntu rally. Now, what most of you probably don't know is that I was late to the Ubuntu rally. In fact, I completely missed the first night's dinner. I wasn't there when Chris arrived, and I, 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 I don't think I got to the hotel that night until about 11 p.m. And despite my, flat, fight, my fl flight landed at like, you know, 7 in the morning, 8 in the morning. Now, I have family in New York on the East Coast, and I know that there are some people that have like a second cousin twice removed that they've seen like once in their entire life. But when I say I have family out in the East, I mean, I have close relationships with some of these people that I really enjoy being around. And when I was younger, we used to take trips out East and I, I, I got to visit my cousins and they took my sister and I into New York. And that was my first experience being inside of a big city. And, you know, this is coming from, you know, Grand Ole Forks, where we have like a total of 50,000 people. So I knew, but you know, once we made the decision to go to New York to cover the rally, I knew that once Chris and I got to working, there wasn't going to be a lot of downtime. And I was completely right. Like up till the time that we had gone there, we had talked about all the different things that we were going to do when we were in New York. You know, things like meeting up with fans and there were there were, you know, monuments and stuff that we wanted to see. And we didn't have time for any of that. Uh, when push came to shove, we had time for work and work only. And some of you were <laughs> some of you were quite angry about that. We got a lot of email from people that were really upset. They're like, we wanted to see you guys. It's like, we wanted to see you too, but we just didn't have time. It was just, we were so busy. But I reached out to my cousins right before that. And, and, I, and I said, hey, you know, I'd really like to hang out. I'd like to, you know, say hi to you guys while I'm in town. But I'm just not sure I'm going to have the time because we're going to be so busy. And when I found out that Chris wasn't going to be arriving until later that day, I called my cousin back up. I said, you know, let's, meet, let's, make, let's make plans. Let's meet up. Um, and so I arrived, you know, in the morning at JFK and the shuttle didn't pick me up on time. In fact, they entirely missed me. And then the shuttle, the next shuttle was like two and a half hours eight. And then finally, after like, I don't know, six, seven hours of sitting in the airport, I got to this point where I was like, you know what? I'm just going to bail on the family thing and I'm just going to head over to the conference. I'm going to do what I came here to do. 
and I'll get to the hotel. I'll get a good, you know, dinner, whatever. And I don't know what it was. I, I don't know what the reason was, but I stuck it out. And I made it to my cousin's house that night and we had dinner with her dad. And that's my uncle. Um, and it was a great dinner and it was a lot of fun. I got to hang out with her kids and I got to catch up with my uncle who was writing a book at the time. Uh, he was a physician for many, many, many years. And um, he had seen some really remarkable things in his career. And so he was going to put all of that into a book. And my uncle, he, he's kind of, a, he's kind of a, a special person because he was the first family member to ever give my sister and I cold, hard cash for Christmas and birthdays. And, you know, later in life, you start to appreciate all of the other things that your family does for you and you start to appreciate the relationships. But when you are, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, the cool, the, the, the person that gives you the cool Christmas part present, the, the guy who gives you the cool birthday present, that's the guy that really stands out. And I saved up my money that my uncle sent me and I bought my very first laptop. It was an IBM ThinkPad 755C with 248 megabytes of hard drive space and 16 megabytes of RAM. And uh, it ran Windows 3.1 and I spent several weeks and months trying to upgrade it to Windows 95 and I never did actually succeed in upgrading the stupid thing. The, it was a it was a really it was a piece of junk. I mean, it really was. The battery was shot on the thing, so it didn't hold a charge. The power plug in the back was broken, so I had to use the docking station. And back then, when we say docking station, we didn't have like the little USB thing that hangs off the side. When I say the docking station, think of like the pickup bed of an F one fifty, and you slid this laptop into it, and that was the docking station. And that experience ignited a passion and hate for Windows. <laughs> I never really died. And it led me uh, right here behind this microphone today. So a huge, huge thank you to my Uncle Buckton for everything he has contributed to my life, uh, for, you know, from the technical perspective, obviously for, you know, financial gifts early on that allowed me to experience technology in a way that probably most other, you know, 12, 13-year-olds didn't. Um, and uh, just our thoughts and prayers are with him because right now my Uncle Buckton is in a hospital and he in all likelihood is going to die in the next few hours. Um, it was unexpected. We didn't, uh, we didn't see this coming. Nobody did. He was, everything was fine. And, uh, all of a sudden, um, it just, uh, you know, I don't want to get into a bunch of the details, but basically just bound up, uh, in the ER and then eventually the ICU. And uh, so why am I bringing this up on the air? Because this is not exactly uplifting conversations, right? Well, if you listen carefully to what I'm saying, running an IT company, you can imagine how much free time I've had in the last five years to go out and visit family. And Linux brought me to the East Coast a few months ago, and I made a decision to blow off part of that event to go have dinner with my uncle. And 50 years from now, I, I, wouldn't be, I, I barely can tell you right now what we talked about at the conference, but I promise you 50 years from now, you better believe I'm going to remember having dinner with him for the last time and getting to hang out with him and, and my cousins for a couple of hours just, uh, just a few months before he passed away. So anyway, I'm not going to, you know, we'll, we'll pick up the beat from here, but I just, I don't want the whole episode to be doom and gloom or anything like that, but just, uh, just a couple of minutes. I just wanted to get that off my chest and, and, and thank everyone, um, you know, that was, that was understanding that we didn't have a lot of time while we were in New York because, you know, we were pretty busy, but it's a, it's, it has it, really been a really great opportunity for me to reflect on how everything in the world is connected and uh, what really matters in life. So that is my, uh, that's my lesson for the day. All right, open phones this hour, 1-855-450-NOAA. That's 1-855-450-6624, live at AskNoahShow.com. Chaz, New York. Hey, Chaz, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. Man, uh, no words, but I'm glad that you got uh, that last dinner with your uh, uncle, and yeah. all goes well for your family. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things where it's it, you kind of look back and you're like, man, I made the right call there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, I saw on the Twitterverse, you know, besides the fact that we're building the wall, that uh, you are looking for ideas of what the best Linux distribution is. Yes. Well, I just wanted to uh, go ahead and toss my uh, hat in the ring for Ubuntu Mate, um, which we've talked about before. And the reason I want to do that is last Christmas, I got my mom off of Mac OS and onto Linux by way of a uh, but of swapping out her spinning plate hard drive for an SSD. Um, and I initially installed Manjaro on her machine because um, you were still doing laughs at the time and you were fed up with Ubuntu for some reason. I figured, you know, 
I don't want to put, you know, my mom on a distro that's going to frustrate her. Manjaro, you know, was, I was testing around with it at the time. It seemed like a good fit. It turns out it wasn't. It definitely did not succeed in my plan to uh, stop being tech support for my family every week. And finally, this uh, Thanksgiving weekend, she had another problem, and I finally just said, you know what, I'm going to put her on Ubuntu Mate, and hopefully that, you know, lessens the amount of times I have to uh, come over to her house and fix things. And the trade-off of having to reinstall, you know, whenever they put out a new LTS is worth it in my mind. So sure. I got uh, I got her home folder transferred over, and I got Matei installed. And really, just with the welcome screen, I had to install Chrome. I signed her into Chrome, and everything transferred over flawlessly. Everything on her desktop, all her documents, music, all that stuff. We got everything imported in. Um, I think I've had one question from her since putting her on Ubuntu Mate wow. with the Redmond uh, layout. And it was, hey, um, uh, LibreOffice isn't working. So I came over and it just turned out that the shortcut was broken on her desktop. And I said, hey, you know, you really shouldn't use your desktop as much. Just go to this menu here and you can open, you know, everything, you know, right from there. But it's just working phenomenally. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to when I can uh, upgrade her to the next iteration of Ubuntu Mate. And I'll probably put my dad on that as well because he's running a mint box that I made for him back when uh, XP stopped uh, being supported. And I myself am going to go to uh, Ubuntu itself with the next LTS because I'm excited about their gnome coming, if you will. But everyone else, I'm putting on the tay. Yeah, man. Yeah, the you know that's a huge props to Martin Wimpress and the whole team over at Ubuntu Mate because they 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 take so much time to put so much polish into the distro that it just stands out, right? Exactly. I mean, I I'm using it right now, and I just it's great for everything. There's not, really not a downside to it at all. I can install everything with a click of a couple buttons, you know, with a screen that pops up right away to tell me. This is how you use this distro. Uh, it looks great. It feels intuitive. And so you're really. So you're using this is on your this, this is on this is on the desktop, right? I, obviously. Yes, um, I've got uh, the ThinkPad X260, which is running it. Um, my dad, I think he has our old Dell, which uh, you know obviously came with XP and is running Mint now. And then my mom has a 13-inch uh, MacBook. Uh, with a 500 gigabyte crucial SSD that I've swapped in for. How uh, how so? How long how long have you have, have you put her on Ubuntu Mate? How long has she been running it? Uh, I put it on on Thanksgiving. Okay, so about two weeks. Yes. And uh, if somebody came up to you and they said, "Chaz, I'm looking for a new operating system for my desktop," would you uh, would Ubuntu Mate be the first thing that comes out of your mouth? Uh, yes, but I do keep one eye on the development of Solus because I'm pretty oh, yes. excited by the things that Ike does. Yeah. And uh, really, Solus lost out initially because my mom needed a financial plan and KMI Money isn't in the default uh, repositories. And that was what I thought was the most Quicken-like uh, experience yeah. uh, on the in the repositories at the time. So I didn't go with that. Um, it was I was briefly thinking about putting her on it when I switched her to Matei. Um, just because she actually changed up her finances a bit so she doesn't need a financial manager program anymore. Mm -hmm. But I just thought, you know what, I better go with what I know, you know, Redmond layout, Mate, and, you know, hope that the calls are less frequent. Let me ask you this. And it, it, You're qualified to diagnose things over the phone. I'm not qualified. <laughs> <laughs> let me uh, let me ask you this, Chaz. I, I just will sidebar with you for a second. The um, so the from a from a financial standpoint, and, you know, I obviously you know feel free to tell me to buzz off if I if I dig too personal here. But uh, what what do you what what is it that you or her were looking for in a financial program? Were you looking to just keep track of like a duplicate of what's in the like the online banking thing, or were you looking to track spending, or were you looking trying to like plan things? Honestly, um, my mom is just very much a person who doesn't like change. Uh, she ended up on a Mac because her Dell computer was stolen. So she kind of got, you know, shoehorned in the Mac OS away from Windows. And 
you know, she had used Quicken on Windows, and obviously Quicken comes with a Mac port. Really, I just needed to keep everything as the same as it possibly could be for her as she was used to on Windows or Mac, which, you know, to me meant LibreOffice and finding something that, you know, would look and feel as much like Quicken as it possibly could. It really wasn't a matter of looking for anything specifically. It was just, you know, she, I, I use Mint.com for my financial management and, you know, she used Quicken. So we're already speaking two different languages and I just yeah. find the thing that would work the best, if that makes sense. Yeah. reason I ask is I used to be a Mint.com user and I actually switched to a new, um, a new website, and this is not, it's not like we're affiliated with them or anything like that. I just, I'm trying to think, uh, every dollar, every dollar.com. And here's what's cool. Here's what I like about every dollar over mint is every dollar allows me to plan ahead of time what I want to spend my money on rather than it seems like mint is always like finance tracking and, and every dollar seems to be like I can plan ahead. And I have like, it's kind of funny when you kind of sit down and do it that way, it it takes a little bit to kind of get your mind in that frame of, of thinking. But once you do, then you're kind of like, Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. You know what? That, that is right. If I didn't spend this much here, if I spent instead of going out that much, if I put that money towards this thing, then we could buy that thing. And I don't know, just kind of a different way to think about it but i i've been a big fan of everydollar.com and they have android and ios apps too so you can kind of track it on the mobile or on the fly too it's just kind of nice anyway yeah, it sounds interesting i actually kind of do that mentally in my head just yeah. by knowing how much i have to save per week yeah add up to all my bills at the end of the month yeah um, yeah yeah exactly and 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 yeah and you know the other thing is too is uh you know are you are you a small business owner by chance no, no, I uh, I test fuel injectors for Delphi. Oh, okay. I uh, have a I have a side hustle with uh, working for the city of Rochester, uh, implementing a new recycling program. Gotcha. So the reason I ask all anything like that. Reason I ask is just because the a lot of the people that uh, that are really good with keeping track of numbers in their head and uh, and always kind of have a mental picture of where they are. I always a lot of times those people are small businesses. Maybe maybe that's something you should maybe that's a maybe that's a sign. Maybe that's something you should look into. Uh, but yeah, anyway, uh, everydollar.com. Somebody's looking for a good budgeting app that is compatible with Linux. It's web based, so it works just fine. Um, John is calling from Missouri. Hey, John, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Uh, thank you. Uh, um, calling to find out, uh, I've got multiple backups that I just keep whenever I get a new NAS or a new hard drive. I just throw it in, and I found out that I had like oh, probably two or three terabytes of duplicate files. Um, I was using Find to find the bigger files and see if I can remove the duplicates but is there an easier way than just do a find on the directory yeah so um you're when you say backups you're basically just making a duplicate of all the stuff that's the, like you're just it's like just a copy yeah okay um well there is, there i mean there's a number of different tools on linux that will allow you to search for different files and you can you can start getting into regular expressions which will let you really uh you know you know, hunker down and you can really tune in some, some detail there. But, uh, what I would, I, I guess what I'm hearing from what you're describing is that we need a new backup solution, the new backup strategy, uh, because just making a, an entirely separate copy constantly, as you're probably finding out that occupies a lot of space, doesn't it? Oh yeah, no. And it's one of those things where I'm right now in the process of getting, uh, using, um, taking snapshots and then backing up the snapshot. But that doesn't help me on how I back things up ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So here, here's here. I'll tell I'll tell you where I was at uh, at one point in my life, and you you tell me if this sounds familiar. I knew that there were better backup strategies out there. I knew that there were better tools out there, but one, I didn't know how to use them. Two, I I didn't really want to go on a learning expedition with my essential data, and uh, and three, I didn't have the time to figure all that out. Does that, does that any of that resonate with you? A couple things, yeah, yeah. So the reason I, I bring that up is because there is a a, a, a boatload of power inside of a, a tool that's built into Linux called rsync. And the great thing about rsync is you can learn it in about 30 seconds. You can run a dry run so you don't have to worry about experimenting with your data. Uh, and it will. the good news is uh, 
it is backwards compatible with what you have been doing. And so basically what you can do with rsync is you can you can you type in the command rsync and then you can you put in the dest or the source and then the destination. So if I just did rsync slash home slash john slash uh, well, just home slash john, it'll back up slash home slash john. Then I can put a destination in there slash uh, home slash john. Well, you probably wouldn't go there. You'd go like uh, slash backup. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Glad now. Sure. Uh, but, but the great thing is there are a couple of arguments and I'll have them in there for you, the show notes. And you can basically tell it. I want you to make a, a, a brand new copy of all this stuff. However, if anything already exists inside of the backup, then don't bother rebacking it up again. And you, and you could also start doing rsync comparisons between two different folders. So you could say like let's say you have let's say you have four different folders full of the same full of mostly the same stuff but there's a couple of odds and ends here and there. There's a couple files in this one that aren't in the rest of them whatever, right? You could start running rsync. You could you could break it down and say we're going to run the first the first two and anything that's not in the first folder put into the the second folder and then we know that everything that is in the first folder exists in the second folder we can delete the first folder then we can compare the second one with the third one and the third one with the fourth one so on so forth and eventually you could get down to here is one canonical place of all of my backed up stuff uh and then all we'd have to do from then on is moving forward is keep track of when we back up this folder let's make let's back up everything that doesn't already exist in this folder and then once you get that process down then if you want to you can go back and say anything that i have deleted out of the backup folder or anything i've deleted out of my main folder go ahead and also delete out of the backup folder because i've decided i don't want those things but to start out with you could just you could you can run rsync in such a way that it will copy only things that don't exist but leave everything else intact. So you can only add to the folder. You're never taking away. Does that make sense? That's not a very good explanation, I don't feel. Yeah, yeah. Is no, it? no, no. Uh, and that's actually sort of what I have because I have, like, uh, November 2016, um, October uh, 2014 as the files in there. And uh, some stuff I deleted by accident, some things I deleted on purpose. But I, right. I'm trying to go through and figure that out. But yeah, rsync uh, makes perfect sense, and I'm sort of kicking myself for not thinking that. But hey, um, that's why I call it to see what I was going to kick myself for. That's right. Um, <laughs> thank you for your help with that. Yeah, no worries. Um, and just on personal, um, I this year I've lost my aunt and my uncle, um, so I understand. Um, I really do wish the family, uh, your family the best. Um, and one thing that I did that really, uh, my family really enjoyed is I used um, a mosaic. I took all the family pictures and I made mosaics of my aunt and my uncle. Ooh, that's good. Um, so it was, um, and I went up and got um, a two by, or two feet by three feet picture of them. So at the funeral and um, at the wake, that people were just sort of staring at that, like, "Oh, this is so and so at when they were two, and this is so and so when at their wedding, and this is so and so when they at their first birthday." It was just sort of the all the memories of the family, but of a picture of them. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and it, it's. it's it, I, I'm, isn't it interesting how us geeks uh, uh, immediately turn to technology? It's like, oh, we're in our time of grief. How could we supplement this with some tech? <laughs> isn't that isn't that kind of interesting how that's how our minds always go? Yeah. Um, when my aunt passed away, um, lost her right around things or Valentine's Day, and literally that night I didn't sleep at all. I went through, got all my pictures of the family. Um, I actually use rsync for that uh, to get on my laptop, um, and then I built and found a good picture of her, and was running different versions of that overnight until I got one that I liked um, and showed the family the next day, and they're like, they just started crying again. Just yeah, like that's just so it's so meaningful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It so. is. It, it it is, and it's it's kind of fun how technology, uh, in some ways, lets us 
capture and and drag with us the past. I remember when my uh, when my grandma passed away, and uh, we were going through her stuff, and and all of these pictures came up that you know a lot of them had been faded and stuff like that. And I, I remember making a real push to get my hands on all of them for just a little bit, so I could scan all of them at 300 DPI TIFF. And I I, and I don't think the rest of my uh, the rest of my family understood, but I knew I was like, well, this is they have degraded for the last 50 years or so, but this is the end of the degradation because now I have an uncompressed TIFF uh, digital copy that will live forever. So, I mean, you know, it is kind of an interesting discussion. How, what, are the, what are the formats you think we'll be able to open it in 50 or 60 years? If we took a format from even 10 years ago, do you think we could open some of them? I think it'd be kind of interesting, but yeah, it's interesting how our, how as techies, we always, we always, uh, we always go to, we always dig ourselves into tech. That's kind of fun. Omar is calling. Hey, Omar, welcome to the Ask Noah show. Hey, thanks, Noah. How can and, we help? Uh, I'll get right to it, but I just want to say that I do appreciate everything you do and uh, actually sharing the anecdotes, to be honest. Uh, it's very relatable. My yeah. grandmother passed away in 2012. Mm-hmm. One of my fondest memories with her was actually having taken the time out of my busy months that I was in the middle of to take her out for they call it for a Mother's Day brunch that uh, I can still see the smile on her face, and she passed away later that year. So, Oh, cool. Where'd you guys go? Yeah, always worth taking. Uh, honestly, of all places, just Cora's. Nothing fancy, but yeah. that wasn't the important part, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it was a boring place, but, uh, I mean, not to, not to dissuade uh, Cora's, but, you know, yeah. it's just standard breakfast, right? But Yeah, exactly. It was time with her, and my God, did she gobble that stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I'm talking to you. Ah, that's great. Well, I love this story. That's great. How can we help today? <laughs> I did email you this, so uh, if you come across it, it is a duplicate. But um, I had a question regarding NAS solutions that are you can just throw some kind of Linux distro on. I do have a QNAP, um, one of those little two-bay, small form factor, network-attached storage solutions, right? Yep, yep. And it's doing a pretty good job. I'm happy with it overall, but some of the design decisions just drive me up the wall. Um, I can get into specifics, but more importantly, is I'm on the look. I'm on. I'm hunting for some kind of a similarly compact form factor box of some kind that doesn't necessarily come with QNAP or Synology's pre-built proprietary software on there, but something that I can say throw. I don't know, Open Media Vault, or um, I don't know if, it, if you're very Linux-specific. I know you are, but think of something like, say, FreeNAS or NAS for free, whatever. Sure. Yep. Um, and unfortunately, I'm coming up empty, even asking these kind of questions on um, the FreeNode hashtag Linux channel. Like, nobody seems to have any ideas. So I thought okay, I'd here's, about it. Here's the million-dollar question. How many drive bays do you want in this thing? Honestly, two to four. Four would be overkill. Two would be minimum. All right, I got you then. It's just it's, it's it's sitting in the living room. It's it's just my main thing is I don't want to have a big massive custom build box sitting mm-hmm. in the middle of my living room if I if, if I can avoid it, right? Yep, I hear you. Optiplex 3020. Yep. Uh Dell has oh, some yeah. really great small form factor PCs and the things are freaking bulletproof. I've got two of actually right here powering this the studio are are uh do we have two or three we got two opt uh sorry three we have two or three okay there's the third one uh speaking of which sorry <laughs> i need my announcements for the end of the hour to grab those off the printer <laughs> sorry about that uh okay anyway uh 30 uh, computers that we have in the studio we've got three 3020s that are here two of the one runs our uh, on-air control system one runs our broadcast capture and all of that and the other one is a virtual host and i'm using it to virtualize a number of the so like we have virtualized skype machines virtualized mumble machine virtualized the media playout, the thing that kicks out the the audio at the beginning and into the hour, all of those things are all virtualized. Um, and awesome. yeah, um, and, and that'd be great because I actually would like like to run my own virtual host on the same server too, ideally. Okay, so that's a whole different. Dis- we'll we'll get to that in a second. So. So okay, the first sure. <laughs> first thing, why the thirty twenties are great? They are they're not fanless. They have a fan in them, but they are so quiet that I have three of them sitting right next to me, literally four feet away from a microphone, and you guys can't hear it because it is they are so quiet. The things are freaking bulletproof. They just don't break. They don't crash. <clears throat> We've had them. For, I've I've used them in, in our office for years, uh, and and then I obviously I, I brought bought a couple of, couple of them, brought them up here to use uh, for the studio, and, and they've been absolutely fantastic. And they're dirt cheap. You can buy them for like. I don't know, 120 bucks, 130 bucks, 150 bucks on eBay. 
uh, and, and they're just they're really great machines. So they have a small form factor and they have the mini tower. Uh, obviously, for what you're doing, if you do the small form factor, you can get two 3.5-inch drives. I actually, and this is not a not an Alta Speed Technologies recommendation. This is just Noah's being real here with you. Uh, you, I have taken some of those and taken uh, SSDs and put double-sided 3M tape on them and double-sided 3M taped SSDs to the inside of the chassis uh, and plugs. And and I've I've run a four drive four drive for the storage array plus one uh, compact <laughs> flash card in, in, a, in, a, in a SATA converter, and I've used that as a file server, and it works phenomenally. Now, on to your other... Yeah, well, I get the idea. So, so going back to your other comment, though, here's why... So here's where you need to, to exercise a little caution when, you're, when it comes to virtualizing. You never, ever, 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 ever want to virtualize FreeNAS because FreeNAS, ZFS really expects to have hardware level access to the hard drives. And so when you try to put ZFS, when you try to put FreeNAS with ZFS inside of a virtual machine and you have that try to talk to a virtual disk image that is then residing on a physical disk, you run into you set yourself up for a number of problems, not the least of which is you're going to lose data. So don't virtualize your don't virtualize your hard, your storage server unless the actual physical storage is going to be connected remotely if you're going to have that sitting separately and you're going to connect it with NFS oh, or something like that. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll clarify. I mean, that's a good cautionary for the other listeners. But, uh, the, the intention that I had would be, if it's even possible, whatever the distro is that I want to run the actual NAS, that would be bare metal. But the idea would be, if it's possible, to run, to be able to run other VMs. Like if I want to run a Windows VM or something like that mm -hmm. within that bare metal NAS Server. Yeah, I I actually think uh, I think open. Gosh, I don't want to say because I'm I'm going to get chastised if I'm wrong about this, but I want to say Open Media Vault supports VM. Although it may have been a QNAP thing, but there was some Linux uh, file system thing that supported running VMs or at least containers. Uh, so you could look into it, but right but yeah, yeah, that that that's totally why I would do Optiplex thirty twenties. There, you can the, the the sweet spot for for computers right now is, in my humble opinion, uh, four thousand series Intel because they anything earlier than that, you're paying a lot of money for power and you're not getting a lot of it, you're, it, it's, it's consuming a lot of energy but you're not getting a lot of power out of the cpu and anything newer than that has uh, an appropriate not overpriced but an appropriate price increase so you can buy the the 4040 you know 45 whatever uh intel i5s or i7s and you can get them for 120 bucks 130 bucks and so for those kind of tasks you put 16 gigs of ram or or i think the 3020 tops out at 16 gigs you put 16 gigs of ram and you put um you know, four drives in there, two, 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 four terabyte drives or two, eight terabyte drives and like a compact flash card or an SSD for the, the host operating system, man, you're going to have a heck of a file server for just a couple hundred dollars. Awesome. Does that help you? I appreciate it. Yeah, very much. Thank you so much. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Joe is calling. Hey, Joe, welcome to the Ask Noah show. Hey, uh, actually it's Joel. Sorry. I didn't oh, Joel. speak clearly enough. No yeah. worries. Hey, Joel, how are you? How's it going? Good. Nice to have you live. Yeah, so um, my question is um, sort of uh, along the lines of how uh, – can you hear me? I can, yep. So, yeah, so the question being, if an application that is is only available on a certain proprietary platform and you and there's, like, no support for it on Linux – how do you go about trying to convince that company to make a Linux version of their application, per se? Um, in my case, this is a, a printing application used in my university, and um, from what I've researched, uh, pay queues aren't supported in the if you're going to use a Linux version deployment of this um, application. So. To a certain extent, it depends on how big are we talking. Are we talking Adobe si size big, or are we talking like, uh, you know, uh, what's an example of a small, small, um, Reaper would be a great example. Are we talking like Reaper Audio DAW size, where it's big enough company that it's well known in the market, that kind of thing? Or are we talking like Adobe, where there are, you couldn't get a hold of the decision-making person if you tried, there are so many levels of hierarchy in the company? Um, can I say the name of the company out loud? Yeah, please. Uh, Pharos, if that, if you've heard of it. Okay, I haven't. What, what does Pharos make? 
Uh, Theros is a printing system. Like it's uh, it's used it's used widespread across um, universities and uh, or other places. It's it has it's a printing queue system where you um, have stuff loaded up to your uh, queue via your and you're identified via your ID and you go to a kiosk and you scan your card. Okay. From what I've researched, it uh, yeah, and from what I tried, I even tried running the EXE in Wine and it's not installing due to I feel like as if though the configuration is Windows specific or something to do with installing printers that way. So. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'll give you some good news right off the bat. Uh, I we do a lot, uh, and I mean a ton of uh, those kinds of installations where you have either an act like if, if if it's in like a law office, you have like a a, a um, like an ident- identity code or something like that. Um, but we do it a lot for universities and schools and offices and stuff like that, where somebody has to authorize a print job, and then that print job counts against a certain amount of paper that they're allowed to use, or a certain amount of copies, or it gets billed to a certain person or whatever. And in every uh, scenario that we have set that up in the last, I don't know, four or five years, all of that stuff has turned to being hosted on the printer. Five, greater than five years ago, six, even even earlier than that, if you're if you're if you have you know equipment that you're dragging in, a lot of the processing power, it was fine if you had a small office for five or ten people. But when you start talking about maybe fifteen hundred people accessing a device. It, it, it started to be unmanageable for the printer to keep track of all that themselves. And that's why they went out to these separate software systems to handle that. So the good news is, if nothing else changes, that particular problem won't probably exist in a couple of years. Now, to answer your specific question, how, how can you convince a larger company to port an app to Linux? The companies are, are, are pretty black and white. It, it, it's pretty much a one or a zero. Can't is this affecting our market? Are we going to lose money? And and do we need to spend money to not lose money? If yes, then one. If no, then zero. And so if you don't have a significant amount of users, thus you're not representing a significant... Like, if, if 80% of your university was using Linux and none of those people could print, and so then they went to the university and said, we can't print, so we're not going to print here and we don't like the system, the university is going to go to Pharos and say, hey, uh, we don't want your product anymore because it doesn't work with 80% of our students. Now, if you just have the one odd or two odd or even 10 or 15 odd people that are coming to the university and saying, hey, we can't print anything, the university doesn't care and the chances of that getting past a pharaohs are slim to none. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is that there isn't a lot that you can do as an individual to convince a company to port to Linux. What you can do is convince other people to join you in your in your quest for a, a more free and open source platform. And in doing so collectively as you guys start to experience problems and and, and those problems and and the numbers as as Wendell Wilson likes to say there are dozens of us as as the number of people start to increase that experience those problems you start to you start to uh, develop more of a foothold and more of a standpoint that that this company has to start to notice and say hey there's all these people that can't print does, I know that's not a very encouraging answer but does that does that kind of help you yeah, it's similar to what I've been talking to my coworkers about because I actually work uh, part time in the university as a IT assistant, and I'm like one of the few people that gets laughed at by his or their their fellow coworkers about, hey, Linux is not going to be supported in a few years. It's still a hobbyist thing. Yada yada yada. Blah blah blah. Whatever. If that makes yeah. any sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I understand. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I thank you for the call, and I wish you all the best of luck. I wish I had a better answer for you. Like I said, the good news is more and more of the stuff is moving towards the is more becoming more and more incumbent on the printer itself, and so it uh, you know it just comes up as part of the printer dialogue. And more and more printer companies are providing drivers for Linux because it turns out <laughs> it turns out that uh, that um, Linux is actually a really easy platform to support, and if you want uh, printers added across you know large networks, it turns out you kind of have to support Linux. Uh, John is calling. Hey, John, welcome to the Ask Noah show. Uh, yeah, hi. How you doing? Good evening. Hi. Hold on. I'm going to take a call real quick. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just had a quick question to ask you. <clears throat> I'm new to Linux, um, and I love Linux. I started off with Ubuntu, and now I'm using Linux Mint. Love it. Really stable. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to the best way to install like a, a storage, like you know how like in Windows, 
when you want to uh, install a software, it'll ask you what drive you want to put it on. Mm-hmm. Like if I have a RAID 5 on D drive, do you want to put it there? I'll say, yeah, just change the D drive. It'll load the software there. And then, but on Linux, you have to do all kinds of stuff to move it to a, a RAID drive. Sure. I mean, it's kind of hard. To, there's a lot of things to do. I mean, is uh, is there an easier way to do that on Linux? Yeah. So l- l- let's have a conversation about this. Uh, essentially, this is one of those things that uh, is commonly misunderstood. And I really thank you for, for calling in and asking about it because it gives me an opportunity to talk about this. So basically, John, everything in Linux is a file or a folder. And that is kind of, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it takes a little bit at first to get your head wrapped around, but once you do, you'll never go back away from this. So uh, just uh, just every time, everything in the world is a file or a folder in Linux. That means that our device drivers, that means how we talk about specific devices. If I want to reference a particular hard drive, the device itself, that is a, a file, so to speak, on the computer. If I type slash, which is my root, so it'd be kind of on the Windows equivalent, it'd be the equivalent of C slash dev. So kind of like my devices folder. And then inside of devices, I have SDA or SATA drive uh, and then a partition number one. Uh, and I can reference that that particular drive or that particular partition as if it were a folder on my file system. Everything is a file or a folder on Linux. So how does that relate to your question? When you go to install something on on Windows, you have to choose, do I want it on drive C or drive D or drive E, like you said, right? On Linux, yeah. we have the same things. We just, we, we call them, we, we, we give a preference. So for instance, SATA drives are SDA. Um, virtual drives are V-I-R-T-A or, or V-D-A, virtual drive, A, V-D-B, V-D-C, so on and so forth. Uh, and, and so, and all of, because they're devices, they all reside in the slash dev folder. So, so we can access those, those specific drives. Now, as to how I want, how I write folders and files to those, I can put a file or a folder or a collection of files or folders on any drive I want to. And I can move those files or folders around from one drive to the other without the system breaking. So let me give you an example. Let's say I have a folder slash application. I'm just making this up. This, isn't, this wouldn't actually exist in real life. Let's say I had an app, a folder slash applications slash my new application. And inside of the my new application folder, I have uh, all of the files I need for that particular application. And now let's say that the drive that that is residing on, let's say it starts on SDA, that drive that is that it's residing on, let's say that starts to fill up and I want to move all of that onto a brand new hard drive that I just purchased. Well, I can buy a brand new hard drive, <clears throat> let's say I install it and it's SDB, I can then move my entire mount point, that slash application slash my new application, I can move that entire application, that entire folder structure over to SDB and the system without ever having to change anything, reconfigure anything, re- go into the the uh, uh, the um, reg- registry and, and, and change things. And without doing any of that, the system will just understand that now slash application slash my application, as long as I have moved that mount point to SDB, now that application exists on a new drive. So when you, so I, the, the, the practical application of what you're asking is, all of our applications, a lot of the, you have to find out where the application is installed to because depending on who makes right. it, it will install to a different place. So a lot of them are, are stored, like for example, the one that comes to mind is yeah. uh, is um, uh, Lotus Notes, for example, just one that I happen to think of, is, is slash OPT slash bin slash Lotus Notes. And you can you can change if you install a new drive or if you want to move it, you can change that mount point to be on any drive you want right. or spread across a number of drives. Does that make sense to you? Right. Well, yes, kind of. But what I'm doing is um, I'm installing WordPress and I'm using MySQL data. And okay. that MySQL database, I'm having a hard time transferring because it does more than that. You have to transfer the app more. You have to do configuration in the back end just to make everything work. It's not just easily transferring all the file. You have to do things to it to make it work. Unlike sure. on Microsoft, you just put it on a D drive. It installs on that hard drive. That's it. It's there. Could you could you explain what you, you mean? Don't have when you, to do configuration. Could you explain what you mean when you say you have to do a lot of other things other than just move the files? Oh yes, on the MySQL database, there are some things that you have to 
tell it where the new drive is at now, like app more, you have to stop it. You have to configure the data where the, where it's going to go to, what folder yeah. it's going to. So, okay, so, there's a lot of steps. Yeah, so th- this is where I think I'm, I'm not communicating clearly. I'm sorry, it's, it's my fault. I, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time trying to explain and trying to get the words to come out of my mouth that I want to come out of my mouth. But essentially, <laughs> essentially the, the drive, the, the physical device in where something lives is completely irrelevant to the so- Linux doesn't care and isn't even aware of that. Uh, so for example, your MySQL database, it, ju- it just has a path, uh, John, to the, to the, to the, the MySQL data or to a specific directory, which drive that. And drive- then you have to delete, then you have to delete the original path. Mm, well, there's two. Okay, so there's there's two ways. There's two ways. There's two ways to fix that. So, a a a given path in Linux. So let's let's say let's say the path is. Let's go back to our example. Slash application slash my app. That is a given path. So that if, let's say that's statically set somewhere and some application is referencing it. If I mount a new, let's say all of the data is on SDA, my first hard drive, and let's say I plug in a new hard drive and I put. I copy all of my new data, I copy all the data onto it, and let's say I make a bunch of changes to that data, and I remount that new drive at slash application slash my new apps, that is the that is the folder that is now going to be accessible by whatever program is accessing it. The, the old data might still be there on SDA1. But it's no longer accessible because it, it's it's no longer mounted at at the slash application slash my new app. That mount point is now occupied by an entirely different a, a new drive. So the if you move all of your data to a different drive or a different location, as long as you mount that new drive, as long as you mount that data at the same mount point that it was originally, your application isn't going to have any idea that anything's changed. The only exception to that. The only exception to that would be you might have to make some SE Linux changes if you have SE Linux enabled, but even that's trivial. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm, so so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if this isn't. Like, there's no app that I can download to where it, it'll pop up. If I want to install a new software, it'll just pop up a drive and say you wanted it here. You can install it here. Is, do we, is there any app in Linux that'll do that? Yeah, I'm sorry, John. I'm not aware of any app that will do that. Um, but uh, but but what? But but the process of moving files and 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 uh, and and mounting them at a new directory that can be done with the GNOME Discs app. And uh, and I'm sorry if I'm not able to to explain that as clearly. Chatroom is saying check out App Image. I'm I'm not familiar with App Image being able to do what John is talking about. Uh, I I've always used App Image to just. Uh, uh, well, maybe I guess. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So you're saying if if there was an app image of the MySQL, then maybe that could maybe that could maybe that could work. I, I'm I'm not exactly sure. I'm sorry that that I'm not able to give you a better answer, John. Hey guys, I want uh, again open phones eight five five four five zero six six two four live at asknoahshow dot com. If you want to make your voice heard, become a part of the program. Let us know. There is something that I have been wanting to do for uh, probably two better part of two years now. Um, so. Chris and I, back in the last days, had always talked about doing a bracket elimination challenge because uh, and there's really there's two parts of this. The first part is I want to compile a list of distros that you guys are using and that you guys think are the best distro for the job, because there is no one single best distro. Right. There are best distros for desktop. There are best distros for servers. There are best distros for utility things like like uh, file servers and stuff like that. So to say what is the best distro is kind of like walking into the hardware store and saying like, well, what's the best tool? Well, what are you doing? Are you gardening? Are you building a house? Are you, you know, it just depends on what you want to do. Um, and so what I want to do is I would love for the Ask Noah Show and the Ask Noah Show community, the Jupiter Broadcasting community, the Logos Radio community to come together and let's compile a database of all of the distros that are in use and what they are best suited for, the pros, the cons, and if you would recommend them to somebody if they came to you and said, I'm looking for a distro for that particular purpose, would you recommend that? So we're going to do this in two stages. The first stage is we need to compile the distro list. So you can do that at asknoahshow.com slash elimination and submit your your distro. We've got a couple of them here. I'm going to go through them. Uh, and, and if you don't hear your the distro there, if you hear, hear you don't hear one that you think should be on that list, then head over to asknoahshow.com slash elimination and enter your distro to be part of the list. Now, when we get done with compiling the list, then what we're going to do 
is we're going to do a bracket elimination challenge. So we are going to take uh, one distro and pit them against the next. And every week we, we're all going to vote on which of those two distros we would use for that given purpose, desktop distro, server distro, whatever. And we're going to take all of that information that we gather and we're going to publish it into one big website that new users can come and they say, what distro should I go with? Well, what do you want to do? Do you want to have a desktop experience? Well, do you want that desktop experience to be very tailored? Do you want that desktop experience to be very stock and very hold your hand like? What do you want out of a Linux distro? And I think this is going to be really, really cool. Asknoahshow.com slash elimination. So we're going to do a bracket challenge. Uh, and the first step is to submit your distros. Asknoahshow.com slash elimination. Submit your distro. And uh, here's what we have submitted so far. Uh, we have uh, Lubuntu submitted by Simon. Simon says that he runs Lubuntu because the community is great and it runs nice on all of his computers. Uh, Ubuntu was obviously obviously submitted the latest LTS. At Flexola says Ubuntu LTS. I just need to get my work done. At the Spy Zero says it works for me. Simple UI, large community support, and snaps. Um, I added that it is probably the most popular Linux distribution out there. It's the most accepted in enterprise. So if you're looking for a desktop operating system that you can use at work and I personally feel it's one of the best desktops or best operating systems suited for the desktop uh, at Demers submitted Ubuntu Mate and he says because the software boutique and compass is beautiful uh, at Adrum submitted Arch says packaging is easy enough for a regular user can make one from the template the AUR is king and he enjoys the simple core and building what he wants on top at Anna's ad adds to that and says he learned so much from using it it gives me the feeling that he's in control and that he can customize how he wants it to run but for servers it's Ubuntu 1604 or nothing at Anna's says the wiki is just phenomenal and at Eric H says with the AUR he hasn't found another distro that has greater software availability due, the, due to the difficulty of installing the no GUI process every time he works under Arch there is a sense of accomplishment the installer means that you have to install everything yourself, so there is no bloat. It's cutting edge. It's a rolling distro, so he always gets the new features and bug fixes really, really fast. At KDE Neon was submitted by at Paul Serifi. He says he likes the online support resources that are found with most Ubuntu-based distros, but he also likes the layout of KDE Desktop. The KDE Neon LTS edition is what he likes best. At Moshguy says he likes the bleeding edge of KDE with the stability of Ubuntu. At Michael Hawley submits elementary OS, he says, because he likes the base of Ubuntu, but with a more deliberate user interface. At Gentoo, or Gentoo was submitted by at Nunix, big surprise here, infinitely flexibility and flexibility and trivial to modify. Uh, void, no system D, rolling release, tiny, fast, moderately secure by default. Great to run from a RAM only in a rescue system where an experiment blows up and no jib. Uh, glib C nonsense. Uh, Solus uh, was submitted by Condulo. It's built to provide first class desktop support. It's a rolling but with a focus on stability. So the package updates come at a far and more reasonable pace, typically off the Friday sync. At Shicken says it's a rolling release model, which in his honest opinion is the right way to handle a desktop computing, never needing to reinstall or perform ridiculous full system upgrades. And uh, Red Hat was submitted by Eric H4 Servers. Uh, you'll not find a more th thought-intensive distro for running your servers. Each new feature is painfully tested before being released. Oh, and Linux Lite gets an honorable mention from Paul Cerevi. Says he has an older laptop that's running Linux Lite and doing the job well. So, asknoahshow.com slash elimination. Make sure to submit your picks there. I uh, Let's see. Where's my announcement sheet? Here we go. Uh our live time is changing, guys. January the 2nd will be live at Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. Pacific, that's 7 p.m. Eastern or midnight UTC. December 25th, we'll be doing a live episode because that's our normal showtime. However, uh, the radio station reserves our airtime every week, so there isn't another host that's going to fill in for me on Christmas, so I'm going to do the show live. I love doing the show. To be honest with you, there's no place I'd rather be on Christmas than talking about Linux with you guys, but I realize that it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. I also don't want to make anyone else work on Christmas, so I'll be live doing the show. If you had your fill of family and you wanted to in for an hour of Linux, uh, we're going to do something special. I'm going to do basically a Reddit version of the AMA, except I'm going to do it live here on the air. I'll take your questions about anything, anything about my life. I'll give you advice, religious advice, Linux advice, marriage advice, whatever. Uh, I'm kind of opening myself up here, but make sure to check that out. I won't be releasing that episode. I, I'm not promising to release that episode because, I, again, I don't want to make our editors work. 
huge thanks to Vox Telsis, Rakai, our video editor, Ben, our producer, and Sarah, our call screener. We hand you off to Crosspoint coming up next on Locos Radio, KEQQ, 88.3, LPFM, Grand Forks. <laughs>